chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. See, that's when the church shouts, hallelujah. Praise be to God. Glory to God. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Starting with verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, the reconciliation, the restoration to favor. Seriously? With these verses? I'm surprised that we can stay seated. If we had, if we understood the joys of heaven and the rescue from the pain of hell, reading those scripture verses ought to cause us to jump up and sing and shout, Hallelujah. Here in a few moments, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. You could probably already tell that by the fact that this is up here. Hopefully you could tell that by the fact that we sang so many songs related to the blood and the death of Christ Jesus. When we shared this in a few moments, I want you to realize that the bread, the cracker, represents the body of Christ. It's not the body of Christ, okay? I want to make sure you all understand that. It's not the body of Christ. It represents the body of Christ, which was broken. When we pass the cup, the cup represents the blood that flowed freely, the innocent blood of Christ. It doesn't turn into the blood of Christ. But church, listen, it represents the blood of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 26 tells us that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we do show the Lord's death until he comes. The reason that we observe the Lord's Supper is as a memorial. It is a celebration of what was purchased on our behalf because of Calvary. I hope you also understand that when we observe the Lord's Supper in a few moments, this, we don't do it because it's a sacrament. Matter of fact, we don't observe any sacraments. And I hope you understand that a sacrament is something that churches do in order to obtain more favor from God. That's actually the definition of a sacrament. It's something you do basically to make God love you and care for you more. 
We don't observe sacraments, not the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, not the sacrament of baptism. We don't observe sacraments because there's absolutely, we realize there's absolutely nothing we can do to make more God more gracious and more loving toward us than what he already is in Christ. To think that we can do something and observe this and that's going to gain us favor with God is really a slap in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are complete in him. But we do this because God's word tells us that we do show the Lord's death until he comes. What we're doing is celebrating, glorying in the cross of Christ Jesus. We do it for two reasons. One is to show the Lord's death until he comes, remembering his death, rejoicing in that price that was paid on Calvary on our behalf. If you're doing it because you think it's going to make God love you more, you're doing it for the wrong reason. The other reason we do it, according to 1 Corinthians 11, is it demonstrates the unity of his body. See, we make up the body of Christ. He's the glorified head. We are the body. We have been placed in his body where God wants us. And what we're doing as we wait for one another as the elements are passed, and then we partake together. We're remembering his death together. We are demonstrating the unity of the body of Christ together. And that's exactly the purpose behind this. It does not make God love you anymore. We remember the Lord's death. We remember his sacrifice made in order to pay the debt that each and every one of us owed. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death. You believe that? I do. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know why God can offer that gift to us? Because of the death of Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And it's only on the basis of Christ's faithfulness to the cross, debt paid, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Christ shed his blood on my behalf, on your behalf, payment in full. And because of that payment in full, God can offer the gift of eternal life to all who believe in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that Christ was made sin for us. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Stop and think about that for a moment. Christ Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, he was sinless. There was no guile, there was no wickedness. There was absolutely no reason that death had a claim on him. The wages of sin is death. But here the innocent, spotless, perfect Lamb of God went to Calvary's cross and he died for our sins. He was made sin for us. What amazing love. What a sacrifice. And we get to observe that 
in just a few moments, we get to remember that death, burial, and resurrection here in just a few moments as we observe the Lord's Supper. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 through verse 24. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Look at verse 24. Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. What a Savior. What a sacrifice. What an exchange. Hey, folks, I want you to realize that he exchanged his righteousness for our sin. That's mind-boggling to me. In order to purchase our redemption, the only way we could be saved, since the wages of sin is death, is for the one who was sinless to take our place on Golgotha. Observing the Lord's Supper, when you stop and think of what Calvary accomplished, it's worth remembering, isn't it? Again, not to make God love you more, because He already loves you with a perfect love. He already loves you in Christ. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You are in His Son. You stand perfect in Christ who exchanged his righteousness for your sin. What a salvation. What a hope. What a promise. Knowing that we're saved for all eternity, that our sin, the debt we owed, has been paid, and we stand in Christ. You know, over the last several weeks, I've lost some very dear friends very dear friends. It's, it's been kind of a blow. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I lost my brother-in-law. Just, he, he was more than a brother-in-law. He was a brother. And I, I loved Alan Wayne. I loved him dearly. Um, several times in the last couple of weeks, uh, I wanted to call him because I was having car problems. And every time I'd have car problems, I'd call Alan. And he knew what to do or what not to do. That's my problem. I always do what I shouldn't do. But anyway, he would know. And, and had an issue come up uh, uh, this past week. I don't know if any of you have uh, a kind of car that you just have the fob and you have that button you push and it'll start. Anybody have a car like that where you get in and you push the button? Don't push too hard because you'll push that sucker right into the dashboard. And I, I, it happened, I'll put it that way. And you can't start it. That's the worst sound in the world when that thing just goes clunk down. And you can't reach it, you can't get to it. And the first reaction was to call Alan and tell him, Alan, what do I do? 
And I could just hear him laughing. But he's gone. And I couldn't. So I Googled it and was able to fix it, by the way. That's, any problem you have with your car, just Google it. You can, you can get an answer on how to fix it. Anybody else a mechanic? Do I have your number? Anyway. That, it was tough to lose Alan. But I know where he is. All because of Calvary. But at the same time, I lost my best friend in high school, Tommy Beasley. We used to pick cotton together. We used to bell hay together. We used to, we used to do everything together. We were just good friends. Played football together. Most serious car wreck I've ever been in was with Tommy Beasley. And that wasn't real serious, but he was a good friend. But knowing where he is today brings joy and comfort. And that's because of Calvary. It's because of the blood of Christ. On Friday, dear, dear friend of mine, I got a text, or email actually, from her husband. But this dear friend that I had worked with for years when I was in relief and development, working for different agencies, uh, this dear friend, Shirley McDonald, she passed away. And that was staggering news. I mean, I, it, I just I couldn't believe that she was going. You know, you have those kind of people in your lives that, that they're just not supposed to ever die. They're just bigger than life, and they're always going to be there. That, that was Shirley. And it was staggering news to me. Because of the blood of Christ, I know where this dear friend is, and there will be a reunion someday. Folks, that's worth celebrating. That's worth remembering that truth. Uh, yesterday marked the fourth year of my mom's passing. And so, you know, remembering mom and, and, and all the, the good times and all that she meant to us, and, and it, it's just... When your mom or your dad dies, that anniversary, uh, you just sort of kind of go into melancholy mood, right? But because of Calvary, I know there will be a grand reunion one day. All of these people, because of the substitutionary death of Christ, His death provides peace, and comfort to those of us who are still alive, who are still around. It, it, it makes me excited for heaven, even that much more excited for heaven, knowing they know what heaven is like now. Something, things that we talked about before, they know what it's like to be in heaven. They've seen the scars. They have heard His voice. They have stood before him, the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. It is not because of their goodness. It's not because of their kindness. It was not because of their deeds. Shirley McDonald, in her lifetime, and, and this is not an exaggeration, probably fed millions of people around the world. This single individual, 
in her procurement activities and procuring food and medical supplies and food, all sorts of things of that sort, putting together container after container after container of, of, of emergency relief supplies going to third world countries. Uh, there's no exaggeration. I'm sure that a million people have been fed and blessed because of Shirley McDonald's ministry. That's not the reason she's in heaven. That's not the reason she's in heaven. The reason she's in heaven, we get to celebrate here in just a few moments. As the bread is passed and as the cup is passed. Her good works, or none of the others' good works, gained them entrance. It was the blood that flowed from Golgotha. That is what did it. And folks, that's worth celebrating. That relationship that we have with Christ Jesus, that relationship that changes you completely, that takes you from being in Adam, lost, on your way to hell, to being in Christ, a new life, a new creation, that was all because of Golgotha. And because the stone was rolled away, I believe it. It's not a fairy tale. It's not made up. It is the truth of God declaring His amazing, abundant love for each and every one of us. You know, I read a story this week about a pastor by the name of, of, of John Harper. You ever heard of John Harper? John Harper was a Scottish preacher. He was a fiery evangelist. And he lived in the early 19, 18, late 1800s, early 1900s. He was invited to speak at the Moody Bible Church in Chicago. And his wife had just recently passed away, and his, he and his six-year-old daughter uh, were going to go to Moody to preach a series of messages. Well, he left England on April 12th, 1912, on board a ship that they say was impossible to sink. He boarded the Titanic. And the story is told that as they set sail, two days into that, we all know the story. What happened? He hit an iceberg. And the unthinkable started sinking. The unthinkable started happening. And as the ship began to sink, in the midst of all the chaos and the confusion and the fear that, that um, followed, he managed to get his six-year-old daughter put on a lifeboat. And you can imagine the tears and the crying and the fears. He handed his six-year-old daughter uh, to one of the, the, the people on board that lifeboat. They didn't have enough lifeboats on the, Atlantic, uh, on the Titanic because they wanted more deck space, and so they didn't have as many lifeboats on the Titanic as they probably should have, and we know now should have. Uh, they say another 500 people could have been saved had they had the right number of 
lifeboats on there. But he, he handed his six-year-old daughter to someone on the lifeboat, and he went back and started witnessing, started sharing good news. Isn't that kind of ironic? I don't know why this strikes me as so ironic. Going from person to person, from group to group, as they're wailing, as they're crying, as they're fearful, as they understand they are doomed, he's sharing good news. But it's the good news that really, really mattered at that point. He finally ended up in the water. He had a life vest. The story that I was reading talked, and this was written by one of the survivors, a young man that was in the water. He managed to get on a piece of a floating wreckage. He managed to get on that, but he had no life preserver. And he was on, the, he was on that uh, piece of wreckage. And he says that John Harper swam up to him, and he asked him, do you know, are you saved? Do you know Christ Jesus? Are you a believer? And the guy said, no, no. John Harper took off his life vest. He said, here then, you need this more than I do. And he swam away. Going up to bobbing people, crying people, sharing the gospel with all of these people in the frigid, unbelievably cold waters, sharing the good news, the gospel, letting everyone that he came in contact with know that Christ had died for them, that his blood had been shed for them. Yes, the wages of sin is death, and you're about to die, but the good news is there is eternal life in Christ. And as his... The last thing he was seen was sinking below the surface as he witnessed to his last individual. What makes a man do that? Knowing the reality of that salvation that we have in Christ. Today, we get to celebrate we get to remember why someone like John Harper, knowing that he was about to die, understood the most important thing in the world, what really mattered, was telling people the good news. Bad news is your ship is sinking. The good news is Christ died for you. And there's more to come. And the offer of salvation is to all who believed. What I want to do quickly this morning is I want to read Matthew 27. I want us to turn there together. And I want us to read the account of the crucifixion of Christ. Matthew 27. Let's start with verse 26. We've heard this story many, many times, but I never tire of it. I hope you never tire of it. If you tire of it, I want to talk to you about your salvation. How could you tire of hearing 
such a glorious truth of what the God of all creation was willing to do on our behalf. Actually, this story, this is the basis of all that thrills my soul. Matthew 27, verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and they took the reed, and they smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear the cross. And when they were come into a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And they set up over his head this accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of the Jews, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him for he said, I'm the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lassabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calls for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be. Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. 
And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph the mother of Zebedee's children. And we know from the story these women come and take him down and prepare him for the burial. They put him in a rented or in a borrowed tomb in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Matthew 28, verse 6, verse 5. And the angel said, answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. It was on the basis that he was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God that that last scripture can be written. He is not here. He is risen. Had he not been sinless, had he had ever committed a sin, he would still be in the tomb. Just like everyone else that had ever died for the wages of sin is death. But because the debt has been paid, because he shed his blood, we have life everlasting. And we get to celebrate. We get to remember that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and it is with glad hearts, it's with thankful hearts that we come recognizing that it's because of the shed blood of Christ Jesus that the debt of sin that we owed has been paid. That we stand before you perfect, sinless, righteous, in him. Father, we come acknowledging that it's not because of our own deeds, but because of the work of Christ on the cross that we can stand before you perfect. So, Father, as we observe, as we remember the body that was broken, as we remember the blood that was shed, as we celebrate May we understand the irony, the paradox of what we're doing as we glory in the cross here today. May we understand what it cost you, Father, 
And we thank you for that plan of salvation. We thank you for that hope, that assurance that it gives us. That we too shall live forever. That heaven is our home. Eternal life has been purchased. We thank you for that, Father. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.